Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I am your host, Andrea, and I am going to tell you the stories of some of my favorite authors. I am currently 42 years old, and I have no trouble sharing this bit of personal information thanks to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, fans of this book know that in it, in the book, 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And since I think this might be true, it's been a great year so far, I am going to dedicate this episode to telling you about the man who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and many other books and other things, Douglas Adams. Now, for the record, I did have to look up. I thought, well, what did Douglas Adams do on his 42nd birthday? The man who created the idea that 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Well, Douglas spent his 42nd birthday on stage with Pink Floyd playing guitar. Not too shabby. I think that's a great way to ring in 42. He actually was friends with uh, the Pink Floyd guitarist, David Gilmore. And so this is how this all worked out but I think that's pretty cool. Now, Adams is obviously known for writing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was the first part in a five-part trilogy. Yes, you heard that right. He also wrote the Dirk Gently Detective series and other novels and nonfiction and TV shows and radio shows. He wrote a lot. So we're just gonna go back to the beginning and start with Douglas Noel Adams, often called DNA by his fans was born on March 11th, 1952 in Cambridge, England. Now, Douglas's dad, Christopher, was a management consultant and a computer salesman. I don't really know exactly when this computer salesman part happened. I mean, we're in the 50s here. It seems kind of early to have the job of computer salesman, but I do think that this was an influence later in Douglas's life, so keep that tuck that away in your brain. And his mom, Janet, was a nurse. Now the family moved from Cambridge to East London when Douglas was young. He had another sister was born there and then his parents actually divorced in 1957. And I was curious about that because I thought that seems like there weren't a lot. I just, I can't imagine there were a lot of divorces in the fifties. And I did find the statistics. And at that time in the UK, only around two for every 1000 marriages ended in divorce. So it was pretty rare. And when they got a divorce, Douglas and his mom and his sister moved in with his mom's parents. What's very cool about this is that his grandparents just happened to run an animal shelter in Essex. So he like lived in an animal shelter when he was young. Another thing that I think influenced him later in his life, so tuck that nugget into your brain as well. Now, he was definitely writing from a young age and he was awarded a scholarship in English at St. John's College, Cambridge for an essay on religious poetry that discussed the Beatles and William Blake. I cannot seem to get my hands on this essay. It's gotta be out there somewhere. It just sounds amazing. But I would love to see this essay on religious poetry with the Beatles and William Blake and how Douglas Adams put this all together. It has to be out there somewhere. So if somebody finds it, let me know. Now at Cambridge, there is a club that is, their full title is Cambridge University Footlights Dramatic Club. And it was actually a comedy club. They just, they go by the footlights. 
It was formed in 1883 and is still an active comedy club at Cambridge. Now, Douglas did try to, he auditioned like right away to get into the club, but he didn't make it his first audition. And then some of his friends and he like started their own little side club. And then he auditioned again for the Footlights and made it. But I do think you can really think about this as an early place where Douglas was honing his comedy and that, that that side of him that made him so unique and special. Now, he did graduate in 1974 with a degree in English literature. And at that time, he moved from Cambridge back to London because he wanted to become a TV or radio writer. We're talking like mid-70s. That makes sense. TV, radio, that's a thing to do. He did a great job at the very beginning. He did some writing for episodes of Monty Python, and he even made a couple of appearances on Monty Python's Flying Circus. So out of the gate, doing pretty well in his writing. They do say he had a little bit of a lull there in like the mid 70s and had to do some, you know, some odd jobs to pay the bills. We've all been there, right? You've got your passion, you've got what you're going after, and you just got to do some things to pay the bills. Some of the things he did during this time, he apparently cleaned uh, chicken sheds at one point. So cleaning up after chickens. And he also became a bodyguard for a little bit in there. Fun fact, he was six foot five. So he was, I could see where he maybe looked intimidating as a bodyguard. So he did that, but he didn't have too long of a lull, honestly. He had, you know, 74, he graduated. He had some things with Monty Python. And then in 77, he and radio producer Simon Brett pitched their science fiction comedy radio series to BBC Radio 4. So they sent in this pitch. And in 78, he sent some writings to the Doctor Who production offices and ended up as a script editor and writer for the Doctor Who series for a little bit. I just think this is so impressively British. Like he went to Cambridge, he wrote for Monty Python, he wrote for Doctor Who. I mean, super British in a great way. Now, BBC Radio 4, back to them, they did pick up this science fiction comedy radio series and they made it a weekly starting in the UK on March 8th, 1978 and lasting until April. And then it was also aired in the United States on National Public Radio on NPR. So, I mean, he really, this is late 70s. He he graduated in 74. That's pretty impressive to uh, get your dreams and your goals going by that point. Now, he wasn't just all work, kind of sounds like it, but he also, in the early 80s, he started dating this woman named Sally Emerson. But Sally was actually, she was separated from her husband at the time, and she did go back with, to her husband. But then right after that, so again, in the early 80s, he met a woman named Jane Belson, and we're going to get back to her soon because she's an important part of the story. But for now, let's go back to 1978. So the radio show is a hit and Douglas adapts it into a novel, which was published in 1979. So that's when we officially got The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, book one, 1979. So he, yeah, again, he had a little lull in there where he was cleaning up after chickens, but man, that did not last long. And he was hit the ground running again with this radio show and a book. Now, what I think is absolutely fascinating about this, and this comes up again and again throughout Douglas's story, 
is that he never just sticks with one mode of the storytelling or later it becomes more of like mission driven. He always has these different ways of doing it. So, you know, Hitchhikers is, it's a radio show and it's also now a novel. And in 1984, he made a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy computer game. Like this is cutting edge technology at this point. And I don't know how many people had. There are people had computers in 1984. I could. I think that would be really cool. What a fun computer game! And fun fact: this is just an aside. He was also the first person to buy a Mac in Europe. Now, the fact that I'm currently recording this on a MacBook. Okay, I know it really means nothing, but I'm just trying to find some way to connect me to DNA. Um, I'm going to say the Mac thing is our connection for now. And then in 1983. He and Jane, so we're going back. So Jane, I told you about her a little bit ago. Jane Belson, met her in the early 80s. They moved to LA together in 83 because he was working on a movie script. Now that fell through, but again, it's just another way that he is finding to tell this story. And I think that's so cool. So when that fell through, however, in 83, they moved back to London in the early 80s. And this is also around the time He's in his early 30s at this point when he discovered the books of the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. And this is when Douglas began to describe himself as a radical atheist. And that is something that comes up throughout. He kind of becomes known for it a little bit. He was really, and he says himself, like he used the word radical just to make sure people knew he meant it. He really didn't believe in God. Again, this is like, We're in early to mid-80s here, and then in 1987, he published what he described as, I'm going to quote this because it's such a great description, a kind of ghost horror detective time travel romantic comedy epic, mainly concerned concerned with mud, music, and quantum mechanics. That's amazing. So continuing to write. So now he had already finished the Hitchhiker series, And he is now working on another series. And this is the Dirk Gently Detective series that he's working on. So continues to tell different stories and this time with books again. Jane and Douglas, they had an on again, off again, on again, off again relationship. But they ended up getting married now in 1991. So they did get married. And he was known as we get into like the late 80s, early 90s, really known for his environmental work as well. So he had done a lot of fiction. He's getting into nonfiction in the late 80s, early 90s. And he started a nonfiction radio series called Last Chance to See with naturalist Mark Carwinda. Carwardine. I can't get that right. Carwardine? Yeah, that sounds right. And in this radio series, and I can't help but think these radio series are kind of like podcast today. You know, it's a, a similar idea. In this radio series, Douglas and Mark would visit rare species of animals. So really, it was about activism and making sure people understood these animals that needed saving. And in 1990, they published a book of the same name. So they published a book called Last Chance to See. And then... In 1992, 92, this is so cool. They made this last chance to see, you know, it's a radio series. It's a published book. They made it into a CD-ROM 
that combined an audiobook, an ebook, and a picture slideshow. Okay, Douglas Adams created an audio ebook in 1992. He was so ahead of the times when it came to technology and not only just embracing it, but figuring out ways to utilize it again in his storytelling or in his mission sharing. So cool. Now with his environmentalism, in 1994, he participated in a climb of Mount Kilimanjaro. And while he climbed this mountain, he wore a rhino suit so that he could raise money for the British charity called Save the Rhino International. I mean, that's just fun and a great way to raise money. In addition to the rhinos, he was also really passionate about gorillas. And I can't help but think, you know, when we're looking at these things in his life, his father being that computer salesman at an early time, and then Douglas getting so into technology and understanding how to use it. And then also having that time when he lived with his grandparents on an animal rescue. And now he is so passionate about saving these endangered animals. Very cool. I I love to see how these influences come forward again into passions of his. Now, in 94, not only did he climb Mount Kilimanjaro in a rhino suit, he also had a daughter. So Jane and Douglas had a daughter who was born in 1994, and her name is Polly Jane Rocket Adams. That's right. Her second middle name is Rocket. How cool is that? I love it. It's just so Douglas. Uh, it's perfect. So she's got Polly Jane. She's got a very traditional name in there, but she also has Rocket as part of her name, just in case she wants to go by Rocket at any time. I think that's really cool. So that was 94. In 99, the family moved to Santa Barbara in California. And then unfortunately, in 2001, uh, we lost Douglas Adams. He had a heart condition that was undiagnosed and he passed away from heart failure um, at a gym. Actually, he had just, he had been working out and passed away from heart failure. So they had some, some ceremonies in Santa Barbara, but he is laid to rest at Highgate Cemetery in London. And he, I mean, Polly Jane Rocket was so, his daughter was so young at this time. She was born in 94 and she was only six years old when his when her dad died. Uh, and at that time, um, Jane and her daughter, they moved back to London. And I do love, there's this quote from Richard Dawkins, who was the evolutionary biologist that Douglas Adams really admired. And the quote from Richard Dawkins is, science has lost a friend. Literature has lost a luminary. The mountain gorilla and the black rhino have lost a gallant defender. And he's so, I think what Dawkins does in that quote is so beautifully encapsulates all of these different sides of Douglas. He, yes, we know him. We know his name from a book that is popular. And that book has spun into countless different Uh, ways that it's been told from cartoons to movies to comic books all kinds of things but he was more than that he was he was a a writer of not only fiction but also nonfiction and radio and tv he was someone who was 
an environmentalist and passionately embracing his causes. And even though, of course, his literary works are one of the ways that his legacy has continued, there are other things that I think were really cool. Like since 2003, Save the Rhino, that organization that he dressed up like a rhino and climbed a mountain for, they have held an annual Douglas Adams Memorial Lecture every year around the time of his birthday to raise money for their environmental campaigns. And in 2005, the Minor Planet Center, which is a thing, it's actually the official worldwide organization in charge of collecting observational data for minor planets, such as asteroids. So in 2005, the Minor Planet Center actually named an asteroid after him, 25924 Douglas Adams. How cool. That is so cool. I love that. And, you know, that's just a little bit. He had a short life, but wow, he did so much in that time. And I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about Douglas Adams. And remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it. Like, I guess, unless we're talking about AI, um, and I, I really suspect Douglas Adams would have loved to write a book using AI. I think he would love that technology. All right, till next time.